Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. My name is Alan, I'm here as always with Gareth. Hello! Gareth, we're, we're, we're a bit off-piece today, we're doing a bit of a special, it's Halloween yeah. this week, coming up, and so I thought, you know, we should do a Halloween special. That's what sitcoms do, right? And I thought, no, Is no, they don't. <laughs> no, no, they don't. <laughs> it's what and American thought, sitcoms do. Yes, definitely American sitcoms. I used to watch Roseanne, and I remember they leaned into Halloween pretty heavily. Yeah. But yeah, in the UK, Halloween was never quite as big a thing. It, it, but it had a peak in the sort of 80s and 90s, I think. Well, I think this is interesting, Alan, because this is, this is you know, we are a British sitcom history podcast. And, you know, we try to look at sitcoms as, in their cultural context and as they reflect the world in which we live. And this, mm. this is a real... Um, specific point in which we and our American cousins differ. But yeah, I think, you know, Halloween, I'm a 46 year old man, so I'm always, bemo- every 31st of October, I bemoan the fact that, oh, Halloween's a load of rubbish and we never did this when I was a kid. So I, it was quite interesting looking back and seeing do sitcoms note it? Do they mark it? Did they, um, and when did they? So, so tell me more about that. Well, I, honestly, though, I cannot find many examples at all. I mean, I remember as a kid, I saw, so I guess when I was trick or treating age, that was sort of in the nineties, and we and I did it. We went out and we got sweets off strangers, and I think there was this there was this sort of twenty year period where it was like okay, the American influence made it a thing, and then the whole kind of you know U tree thing stopped it. <laughs> yeah. When pedophiles were invented in the late nineties, and <laughs> that that put an end to it, I think, or you know certainly. I guess you wouldn't go out on your own as a little kid, but, you know, an 11-year-old, 12-year-old group of friends, they would go out and trick-or-treat, yeah. Well, interesting, though. So, so I, I'm 10 years, well, nearly 10 years older than you, and, and it wasn't really a thing that we did. You obviously did with your mates, mm. but now my son, well, my son's 15 now, but when, you know, five or 10 years ago, he would go out trick-or-treating, but with a group of other little kids and a parental chaperone, and, you know, it was all very well organized. So I guess that's a difference there. Yeah. I could, off the top of my head, I can only think of two examples of Halloween specials in sitcom. Yeah. Uh, and that was Time Gentleman, Please, that mm-hmm. we looked at recently. And I think the main reason for that was Richard Herring was writing it on the fly and he would grab hold of it, any anything he could to yeah. form an episode around. Yeah. So there was a Halloween episode followed immediately by uh, a Bonfire Night episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the only one that was in my mind was an image of... Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson mm. in a in a red tights and a banana costume, uh-huh. and so I was like, they must have done a bottom Halloween special. And, and how I right you were! Uh, but I tell you what, um, the main problem with this is, I'll tell you why I think that this has not captured the attention, is because people don't tend to make sitcoms about children, mm-hmm. and Halloween in the UK at least is a children's thing. Yeah, but. What we'll see in in Time Gentleman Please and then in Bottom as well, they're both kind of adults being abused by kids trick or treating. <laughs> just uh-huh, yes. kids come around trick or treating yes. is actually just a mugging, really. Yeah. Uh, so that's mostly what it's about. Uh, another, I think, another thing as well is certainly in Britain, the scheduling is not that sure in terms of like. What mm. what exact dates will this be going out? I guess Therefore, Roseanne was making special. twenty odd episodes. They knew that one of them would drop on Halloween. Exactly. Whereas a, whereas a British sitcom, it's six weeks. It could go anywhere in the schedule. Yeah, and they'll do a Christmas special. Even this is not always true, but a lot of the time, a Christmas special will be out of 
mm. the series. It yeah. will be a it will be a special, uh, unless they really know that they're going to be on at that time of year. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. You don't want to you don't want to set yourself up for for being in the wrong place. So let me ask you: When do you think this episode of Bottom was first uh, broadcast? <laughs> well, uh, the way you ask that question implies that it wasn't October the thirtieth. So this was this is series three, episode two of Bottom. It's called uh-huh. Terror, and it went out on the thirteenth of January, nineteen ninety five. Well, how terribly anarchic of the boys! <laughs> Well, here's a little uh, extra tidbit for you. They actually did a Christmas special in their second series, mm-hmm. and that went out on the 29th of October. Brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, I think they were just obviously thought, oh, that's good fodder for a bit of fun. Uh, oh, oh, they're so postmodern, aren't they? Rick Mail and Andrew <laughs> okay, so look, this isn't going to be a full episode. We're not going to go into bottom in full detail. We're I'm not sure doing we bottom right now. We're not doing bottom, haha. And hey, that, that you can you can mock my toilet humor, but that's that's better than anything in this bloody episode. <laughs> that's what, well, that's what the, yes, yes. Well, you, your scorn is not going unnoticed. How dare you? So <laughs> let me ask you then, because just to give a little bit of background on Bottom, you are pretty much the perfect age for Bottom. You would have been sixteen when the when the show started. So how do you feel about it? Well, all right. Well, let's let's. Yeah, I am poor in scorn. That is true. And I'll completely tip my hand here and say that I, I just don't like Bottom. And it's it's unusual because you're right. I am the right age. I should have liked it. And I liked the young ones. I liked Filthy Rich and Cat Flap at the time, which of which more later. Mm. Uh, and I liked Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson. And I think that when they brought out Bottom and that became a thing, that was when I went off them. So I remember watching it. I watched every episode as it went out. And I think by the end of it, I just, I just had enough of it. I just had enough of the, the shtick. Yeah. And I think it's very, it's very frenetic. It's very in your face. It's very Rick Mail being Rick Mail. And, and yeah. I get it. If you love Rick Mail, then this is absolutely fantastic. But the truth is, I'm just kind of like, okay, enough, enough, too much. And so now watching it again, after a very long time since I last watched uh, this show, I got about five minutes in and I thought, yeah, I've had enough of this now. I, I understand what you mean. I, I, it is easy to look at bottom and go, well, how far removed is this from the Dangerous Brothers? How far removed this is mm. from Filthy Rich and Cat Flap? It's very much them. You know, they wrote it. It's not got Ben Elton's sure. influence on there or anything like that. It's just them. And I think, I think the joy of that, I think that they're obviously good friends and have this very good relationship. Mm comes through it and I, I think that matters and I haven't watched Bottom for a long time and so when I sat down to watch this episode I really enjoyed it I, I it was making me laugh it was silly wow. and I wouldn't say I am someone who particularly enjoys toilet humor or, or or silly silly comedy like that I like clever wordplay but um it did work for me if I sat down and watched the box set of 18 episodes, I don't know if it would quite have the staying power, but as a one-off I think that's thing, probably I true, really but but, but again, we've talked about this many times before. That is not the right way to watch this. No. I know that's how you watch these damn things, but <laughs> the, 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 the point is that, you know, even just watching it one week at a time, again, I can remember looking forward to this when it was coming out, you know, it was being trailed, the new Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson thing, thinking, great, this is going to be good. And I don't think I watched that first episode and thought, oh, no, 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 it's rubbish. I, I, I was into it. 
But I, I, I don't know. Did I get older? Did, did I just get sick of it? I don't know. But it was interesting to me now going back and watching it and it just didn't, it just didn't hit me at all. I just, oh God, mm. it, was, it, it was getting on my nerves is the truth of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I, I, I know. I can understand that, I think. And, and perhaps if I watch more episodes uh, now, it would be like, okay, well, it's just sort of the same gags every time. Uh, I think actually this, this specific episode was dare I say it, less violent than I'm used to <laughs> because yes. there wasn't quite as much f- actual physical work. I, I guess because they leaned into the cattle prod element a bit more, mm-hmm. but not quite as many, as many pratfalls and fake punches and stuff like that, which they do very well. Shall we run through the episode and then we can, we can kind of branch off as and when. Yes. Yes. So uh, the episode starts uh, in typical fashion, the, uh, in a huge open plan apartment in Hammersmith, which mm-hmm. is uh, very nice. Supposed to be a bit of a grotty place to live, and it's certainly not in a well uh, kept condition. But it is huge, and uh, <laughs> for anyone outside of London, yeah, you can't afford this size of, of apartment. And this is just their downstairs. They have rooms upstairs as well. This was thirty years ago, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I don't yeah. think Hammersmith <laughs> was quite as gentrified in nineteen ninety. <laughs> perhaps not. Perhaps not. But the set, I, I thought the set was interesting, actually, because it was, you know, with my Britcom pod glasses on, I was, I was looking at the set and they did a really good job of making it look grotty. Like there's yeah. a sort of greasy sheen on everything and it just makes you feel like, oh God, you wouldn't want to touch anything. You won't want to put anything down, you know. They did a really good job of just making it look, <laughs> Well, you lived in a crap bed sit in London 20 years I did. ago. <laughs> I did. Yeah, but it wasn't that greasy. <laughs> It is a very open plan space, which I guess gives them scope. Because even in sitcom, in the, in the world of sets and on a stage, you tend to at least attempt to recreate a, a real life sort of living space. And they don't really. But I think that is designed specifically for what they're doing. It's very physical and very big. You need that space to be able to throw Mm. things around. And I also think you probably need that space to have so many naked flames on set, which (laughs) in this episode in particular... I mean, well, to the point where one of the characters says, I think we're in Q8, because there were so many yeah. <laughs> flames. That was a nice uh, nice cultural reference, very much uh, 1990 Gulf War. Oh, well, talk about your 90s references. Okay, I have got some questions for you, because <laughs> there were okay. some, some very 90s references that I was yeah. lost by. Well, first of all, do you remember Spot the Ball competitions? Do you remember that? <laughs> I do remember Spot the Ball competitions. So this is the opening scene, um, and Richie and Eddie, uh, they've entered a Spot the Ball competition. And basically, the joke is that they've misunderstood and they've circled the, the, the footballer's shorts because that's where his balls are, Spot right? The that's balls the joke. Competition. Uh-huh. Now, I don't think that is a strong enough joke to open the show. <laughs> and it goes on. I timed it. It goes on for 80 seconds, this joke, because they go back and forth making the same joke again and again. But then they, and they, then they, they actually the spell joke. it out. <laughs> then Adrian Edmondson goes... I wonder if they mean the football, Richie. And I'm like, I got it! I got it! I got it 75 seconds ago! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's there's probably a fair bit of that in their writing. <laughs> where it's just... Um, you know, we've got half an hour to fill here. Let's just... Yeah. Let's just get it. Yeah. But yes, no, you're right. Spot the ball competitions were very much um, of their age. I, w- I would imagine that's... I don't know, maybe that is a thing. Maybe they have it on the internet nowadays. That <laughs> 
this was a, this is what I like about watching old sitcoms. These kind of weird little references to stuff that. Well, there, do you want there, what, what were the other ones you came up with? Because I spotted a couple. Uh, oh, a few names that got okay. I got three names. Three names that got thrown mm. out where I was like, I'm gonna have to Google that <laughs> because I don't know. What Go on, ask me. Let's see if I can get them because okay. I made some notes. The first one was basically asking Eddie where he would want to be in his fantasy, and he would be, and he says, inside Maria Whittaker's bra. Who the <laughs> yes, hell is Maria so, Whittaker? <laughs> so Maria Whittaker was, was, she was a page three girl. Now, there is a difference here. In the 90s, you had glamour models. Right. People like Lindsay Dawn McKenzie who were, on, who were in FHM and those uh, lads mags. Maria Whittaker was before all of that. She was in the 80s. You didn't have lads mags. You had page three of a national newspaper where teenagers would get their breasts out. Nice. And this was all right until quite recently, actually. Yeah. Maria Whittaker was, Maria Whittaker was one of the most famous. I guess the most famous page three girl was Samantha Fox. But Maria Whittaker was very much a, a contemporary of hers. See, Samantha Fox, yeah, I know that name. Maria Whittaker, I do not know at all. Well, I must confess, I hadn't heard the name for many years. And when, when, I, when I heard the name, I was like, bloody hell, that's a blast from the past. But yes, yes, she was, she was a name that would have resonated in 1990. But I tell you what, I Googled, it. I Googled her because I thought, gosh, I haven't heard of her for a long time. Right. And she, she retired in 1990 when she was 21, <laughs> which, which then made me think, well, hang on a second. So she first appeared on page three of The Sun... Mm. Respected national newspaper, The Sun, well, at the age newspaper. of 16 years and two months with her top off. <laughs> well, I guess 16... Sun crusading journalism against pedophiles. <laughs> I guess 16 was the uh, legal age for that, I suppose. Well, yeah, I guess, it, and I, I guess it still is, Alan, but I'm not sure it makes it all right. <laughs> Look, you've got to earn a living. It was different back then, right? You had to pay... It was different. Yeah. <laughs> you, had to, you had to help out. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, so that's Maria Whitaker dealt well, with. What were the other ones? Do you know what was interesting, though, about that as well? And it made me made me sort of think about this. Is there is a certain innocence to the filth that they peddle here? Uh, like, of all the things you could say about your fantasy, about what you're going to do to a lady, it's like, oh, I'd like to be inside her bra. You know, it's just like it doesn't really. Mm. It's not quite dirty, is it? It's, there's a there's a sort of strange naivety to it, which I think there's a joke through. later on. There's a joke later on in the episode about them all being virgins and. This is perhaps a reason why it resonated with me as a 15, 16 year old is that they are basically teenagers. Yeah. Uh, They're obviously not. They're all adults. You know, um, Dave Hedgehog's got grey hair, but they they are are (laughs) basically teenage boys. Dave Hedgehog also has a daughter that we found out at the end of the episode. Yeah. Why he's worried about his virginity. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Good point. Um, but, but yes, that's not as the internal logic doesn't really hold up. <laughs> but, but, but the point is that their, their entire behavior and demeanor is that of a 14-year-old boy. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I think that's probably, if not very conscious of the deliberate, it's obviously what they're tapping into uh, in terms mm. of the creative process. Um, and that is why you can be silly. We sort of talked about this, the in-betweeners. They're, because they're 16, that we can get away with a lot more. It's, it's the same with Beavis and Butthead. You know, it's, it's, yeah. you, you excuse their behaviour because it's ridiculous and stupid, but you all go, oh, God, I remember being 14. It was ridiculous and stupid, wasn't it? Okay, so I have another, uh, another uh, reference here that I didn't get. Mm. Manga Sutubuta Lazy. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> given the respect he's earned, he's chief manga Sutubutalese. <laughs> oh, sorry. So at one point they go, they're, they're out trick-or-treating and they go up to a street and 
And and Rick says, "Oh, look, it's Chief Mangasuta Butalezi Cul-de-sac. We're, they're all loaded here." <laughs> now, I can't tell what level that joke's work. So I don't know who Mangasuta Butalezi well, is for a start. Well, I'm going to tell you because, in exactly the same way as Maria Whitaker, maybe that's a little disrespectful. In exactly the same way as as Maria Whitaker, that was a name that I have not heard for 25 years, but that yeah. immediately resonated and rang. I, I know exactly who he is. Chief Mangasutu Butalezi was he was basically the leader of the Zulu race in South Africa. Okay, and we look back now on the end of apartheid in South Africa. Nelson Mandela saved the country and became president, and he sailed into power. But but actually, at the time, it was. It was a fight. There was there was a lot of violent opposition from um, the, the, the white people, but also from Chief Mangasutu Butalezi. His his political party, the Inkata Freedom Party, which was basically the Zulu uh, race, mm-hmm. he led them, and that that was the strongest opposition to the ANC. Now, eventually, the, it, the way it all turned out was that they went into a big coalition government and everything turned out, at least for in the short term, fine. But yeah, he was a name where, you know, there were, there were killings and bombings going off and he was the leader of that faction. It was very, you know, it was, there was, at the time, there was no indication that this was all going to end well. And again, it's just a name that I haven't heard for 25 years, but I, I, Chief Mangasutu Butalezi, I, like, it just rolls off my tongue because that was one of those names that, that you know, like... <laughs> Like Brezhnev and Andropov, it was just something that you heard on the news all the time. But in the context of the sitcom, Alan, yeah, it's also a little dig at um, Nelson Mandela House. That's in, the first thing I thought of. Yeah, that's what I thought because obviously this must be a thing, particularly in London at the time, uh, of you know naming these sort of new estates after uh, yeah. reputable leaders, I guess. Like, I live in Brixton right now, and, you know, there's a road up by me, Marcus Garvey Close. You know, it's, um, mm-hmm. there's, a lot, there's a lot of that sort of stuff goes on down here. But I don't know if that, is that, this is a crap area, let's name it after someone people respect. I think the joke in Only Fools and Horses is, you know, this place is called Nelson Mandela House because we've got some lefty council who are more bothered about virtue signaling their support for yeah. the ANC than for actually, you know, building some nice property. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Could you do? Could you virtue signal in 1981? I don't know. But I think this is uh, Mail and Edmondson having a having a little dig at that Only Fools and Horses and those sorts of legacy sitcoms, you know. But I think even yeah, I mean, but even in Only Fools and Horses, it's a joke, isn't it? It's uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. One other snippet about Chief Mangasutu Butalezi. Oh yeah. In the film Zulu, and you've seen the film Zulu. Yeah, he's played by Michael Caine, right? <laughs> no, but he is in the film. So at the beginning of the film, when um, when, when the, the the missionary and his daughter go off to see the Zulu chief, the, the, and we see the, the the tribes people dancing and all that sort of thing, the chief in that scene is played by Chief Mangasutu Butalezi, <laughs> method actor. He's not quite as himself, but he is actually playing his great grandfather, who was um, you know Ketchueo, who was actually the Zulu chief at the time. That is good. That's pretty cool. Mm. So, um, I do have another name for you that popped up. <laughs> well, I think it's when um, Eddie refuses to eat the sprout mixer cane, um, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> and uh, because it sounds terrible. Uh, and Rick says, "Ooh, Harka Egon Rone." <laughs> Egon Rone, yeah. Who the hell is Egon Rone? I actually had the, that name rang a bell. I knew it was something to do with food, but I couldn't. Yeah, tell Egon you Rone was on like I, this. This one is less known to me, but I think of Egon Rone as a sort of proto celebrity chef. Is that is that right? 
He, well, he was a restaurant critic, I think, rather than a chef. Uh, okay. um, but, uh, but I think, well, no, I think he was a chef, but was more famous as a critic because he wrote guides to, you know, restaurants. That's right. But yeah, that was another one. But but that is really what I love about watching old sitcoms. And I think mm. this period, the early 90s, is just spot on for me in that it's stuff I kind of understand, but half yeah. remember. Whereas like stuff from the rag trade, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna have to Google who this is. I don't know what they're talking about. And this would yeah, well like I say, this was right in my uh, in my time time zone. Um, another thing we get before we really get into the Halloween stuff is a, a lot of very self-aware and self-conscious double entendre. Mm. To the, to basically, a, a Finbar Saunders uh, comic strip mm. um, in live action. Yeah, it's really, it's really, <laughs> it really punches you in the face repeatedly, <laughs> doesn't it? Can I drink your juice? <laughs> Yes, of course, go ahead. I think I'm going mad this morning. Someone's giving our knocker a damn good banging. <laughs> I'd better go and see who it is. Righty-ho, I'll grab a hold of my sausage and give it a good seeing to. There is, there's a certain energy to Bottom, which really comes across well in their live shows. I don't know if you've ever seen any of their... I've never seen them live, but I've seen the recorded I think I've seen the, the on video, yeah. 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 They did quite well. They did several of them. And I I think their what they do comes across really well in a live show. And I think this scene where they're just throwing kind of entendres back at each other, obviously it's scripted. Mm. But that feels like it's capturing that energy. That kind of just slightly in the moment, we might say something different. I might throw I might have come up with something else not on the script and I'm gonna throw it at you, try and make you corpse, that kind of thing. And yeah. I like that. I, I again I do like the energy of bottom. I but perhaps like I say, perhaps it would wear thin uh, pretty quickly. I think that I think that, that that is a positive for this show is that that they are clearly having a great time, mm. and that does that does shine through. You can you know you can see this is two mates enjoying themselves and being silly, and that's fine. That's great. That's great. I I, I just I, I guess I'm a I have a limited amount of attention for it. <laughs> they obviously in the live show they break the fourth wall constantly. They're talking to the audience. Yeah, and we actually have that in this episode uh, when they they get into a fight with some children. And they're sort of doing a comedy behind the fence fight with things flying up in mm. the air. And Adrian Edmonton pops up and goes, it's going very well. Keep watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was quite unusual because I don't even, I know they do that in bottom, but I don't think it's a regular thing necessarily. Well, if I can just, uh, we I just give a little sneak preview. We're about to release a forgotten sitcoms episode on Filthy Rich and Catflap, mm. which is kind of what came between the young ones and bottom. And I, I won't spoil that now, uh, but yeah, look out for that on the YouTube channel and on our on your podcast feed. But the point I was going to make there is that in Filthy Rich and Catflap, there's a hell of a lot of that breaking of the fourth wall. Mm. And you can really see that here. You can see a direct line from that one six one series six episode uh, show straight through to bottom so yes we will be that will be going out very soon so uh, keep an eye yeah. out for that uh, all you fans of filthy rich and cat flap out there <laughs> yeah so uh, let's get back to the episode yeah they decide you know it's halloween uh let's go and do some trick-or-treating that's a great way to earn money uh obviously in quite an aggressive way they decide to yeah. take a, a huge over-the-top novelty prop cattle prod <laughs> it is an amazing prop isn't it it looks like it was rejected from ghostbusters for being a bit ott <laughs> yeah um so i don't know where they found that 
And some brilliant visual effects sparks that fly <laughs> off it when it's turned on. <laughs> Don't think we get any setup to they, why they have a cattle prod or anything. It just says, oh, no. oh you've got the cattle prod, haven't you? Yes, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. That's great writing. <laughs> but basically, that is, that, that it emerges that the cattle prod is essentially a prop in order to facilitate Richie going to the toilet in his pants. I'm trying yes. to keep this uh, PG. <laughs> Several times. We do that joke, I think, three times? Uh, yeah, three t- three pairs of tights he has that he ruins. Now, I, I've got to be honest here. I'm not sure we've ever talked about this before, but I really, really dislike poo-based humour. Like, it is... It, yeah, it, like, I'm... If, if you can see the video of me now, I'm pulling faces. It really makes me feel uncomfortable. And I don't like it. I don't find it... It's not that I don't find it funny. I don't. It, properly turns my stomach <laughs> that so might be not why you don't like bottom <laughs> yes i think i think that might be a factor that may well be a factor because yes it's it, they do do the joke three times uh it's not especially funny <laughs> enough to get away with it three times and there's no variety in it it's the same joke three times it's exactly the same joke yes <laughs> uh in which uh yes basically richie excellently uh electrocutes himself and and therefore yeah, evacuates himself. And and the weird thing is as well in the in the edit, we literally have to cut and kind of do a fade to as in and time passes so that you can come back. So they yeah, so he's got another pair of tights on. <laughs> like they don't just go, oh no, I've I've um, you know I'm trying to how do I phrase this? Oh no, I've uh, you know evacuated my bowels on myself. Let's move on with the script. He actually, he has to walk home, get changed, and come yeah. back. And so we have to yeah. sit. Eddie and Spudgun have to sit and have a chat and a beer while they're waiting yeah, for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. All right. Why that? Why are we holding up to that? Uh, the integrity of reality in sitcom here, <laughs> where you've got a, a giant cattle prod. <laughs> hey, but speaking of timing, we all know comedy is about timing. What about this? When they knock on, oh, well, when they ring the bell of uh, of the door. And Spudgun answers it before the doorbell has stopped ringing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were they worried about the edit or something? What was going well, on? They've only got 27 minutes and they need to get another poo joke in. <laughs> well, the thing is, they could easily have rung the bell and then done their little bit of shtick about who was going to be stood next to the door and all that kind of thing, which they do anyway. <laughs> and then just, you know, fill the 20 seconds it takes for someone to get to the door. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. Like, the, the chime is still chiming. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. Right, come on, on to our next victim. Right. Here we go. Right. Ring the bell. Yeah. Oh, hello, Eddie. But yes, we do get Spudgun, and then later later on we get Dave Hedgehog, who were kind of the only other real series regulars, really. Do we ever do we ever get any? Not certainly not in this episode. Do we ever get any formal introduction to these two characters? Because I don't I don't remember knowing anything about them other than they were just these sort of weird characters who came in and out. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, they're Eddie's friends. That's that's all they are. It's, it's... That's, you don't need to. You don't need backstory, really, do you? No. <laughs> how how deep do you think it was going to get? No, exactly. They they draft Spudgun. Um, and ultimately, um, Dave Hedgehog to come to their Halloween party, which is the which is the next stage of Richie's plan to make money out of Halloween. I think that's the basic idea. Uh, trick or treating yeah. hasn't really played out, so they're going to throw a party and charge an entry fee. Unfortunately, you know, Dave Hedgehog only has eight pence, but you know they have to take it. That was quite a good joke. He said, he said it's a free entry, but we want some money for beer. How much? Five grand. <laughs> I've got eight pence. That'll do. <laughs> that that made me laugh. So uh, yeah, we another kind of regular gag, I guess. Uh, you know, Eddie's 
disgraceful alcoholism and he's mm. he's got some sort of homebrew going on uh which is stripping the enamel off the bath in which he's uh, he's mixing it which is yeah. basically the same joke as Richie has cooked something terribly and that's going to knock him out for an hour yeah. and a half I did en- actually sorry I did enjoy that when Richie was cooking at the start of the episode he, his method his method of cooking was he got the pan out put the food in the pan and then set fire to it <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was quite funny <laughs> Like I say, a lot of open flames in this show. Yeah. And in this yeah, episode, the risk particular. assessment must have been lengthy, yeah. They do a whole setup with an exploding carrot. Um, mm-hmm. And then they just set it up and then say, they say it on fire. And this is all in one shot. It's unedited. Eddie goes, oh, you better step back. It can be quite dangerous. They step back. And then it explodes like a legitimate explosion three feet away from their faces. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's in some sort of little like fake glass thing that obviously explodes all over the place it's like this is quite dangerous really isn't it <laughs> this is mm-hmm. a lot dangerous of... brothers yeah. <laughs> and then you know they've got some sort of uh fire hose attached to their their bottom which sets fire to the city and we actually yeah so after they've after they've they've drunk the home brew and eaten whatever it was they they ate that they the, the joke is that every time they fart which is often mm-hmm. the flame comes out of their backsides yeah. and again that's the, you know that joke is, I'm going to say, overdone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but yeah, at one point, Spud Gun actually, you know, does it and, and actually sets fire to the to the sofa. Yeah. And it's not a, yeah. it's not a fake, like, he does, they do that and then someone, there's a prop hand, you know, behind with a lighter setting it off. They've just, yeah. they've just obviously coated the settee with some flammable liquid. <laughs> yeah. And then Fart gone, and there you go, just stand six inches away from that. And then, and then Adrian Edmondson just sort of pats it down with a pillow and it goes out. <laughs> I just think this, <laughs> uh, this isn't safe, is it? <laughs> and, and obviously, especially Rick Mayle, when he's doing it, he not only does it, but he also kind of dances around, like flails around in his way and. They're all, they've all got dressing gowns on that have like right, this is shell suit Alan. fabric. So what you just what you just pointed out there is one of my problems with this. And this feels like a little bit sacrilegious to say this. But I just find Rick Mail too much. <laughs> I know he's a much loved entertainer, and I I, I, I I sense that this is not a popular thing to say, but I just find it too much. So that that's a good example there. They're all farting fire out of their backsides. But Rick Mail just goes over the top and does it a bit more. <laughs> There's that joke that I mentioned before about, um, you know, what does the devil drink? Virgin's blood. And they all look really nervous because, you know, they're all they're all virgins. So they don't want to say <laughs> but then Rick Mail over eggs that. He big, does a big gurn and he pulls this face and he puts his fingernails in his mouth. And it's just like, yeah, we got it, Rick. You know, you don't <laughs> need to overdo this. Now, I get it. That is that is Rick Mail's shtick. I understand it. And like I said before, if you love Rick Mail, then great. But to me, it's just it's just like it's too much. I think in this show, which is built around him, you know, he's, they've created it for that. It works because it's as part of the style of the show. And I, so just to use an example, when he crops up in Blackadder as Flashheart, I think it is completely not in keeping with the tone of that show. But that is why it works there as well, because he is. Oh man, Alan, a... again, again, I feel like, I feel like I'm, you know, signing my own social yeah, media death warrant here. Don't even say I it. hate Flashheart. <laughs> it ruins that episode of Blackadder for me. I, I both times he's in it. I, it's just like, oh god, just just shut up. <laughs> you know, it doesn't it doesn't fit. It's 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 like it's like you're in the wrong show. Go and make bottom. 
Well, well, exactly. I think it doesn't fit, but I think it gets away with it because it's just this little flash in the pan, dare I say. And uh, they they just about get away with that. Look, like I said before, I'm not, I'm, you know, it's all subjective. I'm not saying that Rick Mayles are bad. I'm not saying that he's a bad person. I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I'm saying that what he does is just not my preference. I don't like it. Mm. He's really good at what he does. It's just not for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Mm. Uh, so as we as we come to the end of the episode, basically they decide to summon the devil. You know, it's Halloween. Yeah, um, and and the motivation for oh, this... can I say, can I say that, that, that there's a there's a there's the other joke here that really made me laugh. Oh yeah, they got to make a pentangle, and he says, "Have you got any pens? <laughs> Only pencils? Oh, we'll have to be a pencil tangle." <laughs> that that really made me laugh out loud. That's a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's. <laughs> Because I, I can tell that's the weakest joke in the entire episode. <laughs> oh, that's wordplay, though. Now you see, now we've got the difference between us. That's wordplay. They're right there. Maybe I was just glad that I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't being hit over the head. You can tell that's a joke, though, that presumably Adrian Edmondson came up with. And it's just like, that is so bad, I'm going to have to keep it in. <laughs> so, like, yeah. like, if this was a writer's room and the producers were overlooking, that would never make it in. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it's, it feels more personal uh yeah so they create a, a, a pencil tangle and try to um richie gets his ladybird book of witchcraft out and um, <laughs> tries to summon the devil uh then just at the right time uh, a young woman turns up at the door and obviously richie assumes this is the the sort of physical representation of the devil and they dance around that a little bit for a while this is something we see in Bottom every now and then, where a normal person sort of enters into the world. It doesn't happen very often. But, but then you kind of have a normal person who's just like, this is pathetic. What are you all doing? <laughs> <laughs> because even when they go to the pub, you know, like the, the, the you know, the bar, t- dickhead on the bar and, uh, and, and, you know, when the landlord comes around, I think they're all kind of extreme grotesque characters. But then, yeah, just occasionally... You will have a normal person. It just brings everything into <laughs> uh, into focus. And so in this case, it is Doreen. And uh, she's come around looking for Dave Hedgehog. Dave Hedgehog's daughter. I, I will say that Doreen is an unusual name for a, a <laughs> 10-year-old girl in, the ni- in 1990. I didn't know any Doreen at school. <laughs> I, I, what, what struck me here was that they didn't really pay this off at all like i they could so easily have gone further down this road where she's like oh i'm looking for dave hedgehog and they're like oh no dave has been chosen he's going to be dragged to hell and yeah. you know he's scared and he just sort of cow behind the bathtub and all that but i just feel like that could have been a whole five minute sketch like that could have been the whole part of the plot and it's not it's just like the end it's i don't know how much real care and attention they put into the scripts of this like how much real they were kind of worried about the structure you know it's an interesting point because we've said a couple of times here that that kind of all lasted a bit too long and that bit wasn't paid off properly and was a bit rushed. So do you think that maybe they just filmed it and it took an hour and a half and they <laughs> had to just brutally chop it down? Because I would imagine the scripts for this are pretty open-ended. You know, in terms of... I, I would imagine a script for Bottom is very, you know, here are the words, but how is the physicality choreographed? Mm. Well, I, I, as I, as I uh, understand, they would, they would aim for a 35-minute shoot and then edit it down to you know 29 uh yeah. so that's the script length they were aiming at was about 35 minutes i suppose they had to they might have filmed a whole piece about 
Dave Hedgehog coming to terms with fatherhood, but then they had to drop it for the <laughs> third time Richie crapped himself. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not convinced that that happened. <laughs> but yeah, we get nothing. We get no kind of payoff from that. Or even though they could get a joke from the fact that he was saying he was a virgin earlier, now he has a, a 20-year-old daughter. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Anything? But basically all it is is that they think she's the devil, and then she goes, oh, no, I'm not the devil. I'm Dave Hedgehog's daughter. My mum says I have to... She doesn't like him hanging around with that weirdo um, yeah. being Richie. So it's a bit like, okay, that's the end of the show. <laughs> but, yeah, but, you know, just peters out. Like I say, structure perhaps not the strong point for Bottom. But here's here's a little bit of interesting trivia for you. Um, the woman there playing Doreen, a young woman, uh, she's called Lisa Coleman. I don't suppose that name means anything to you. She no. wasn't. She was in Casualty for a couple of years. You know, she had a kind of a bit of a bit of a moment as a as a known actor, but. Um, yeah. Her sister, I bet this name means... Charlotte Coleman. More to you. Charlotte Coleman, yes. Uh, okay. So man yeah, of your Marmalade age Atkins. would, uh, yeah, yeah, remember that. Well, Charlotte Coleman was Marmalade Atkins. Then she was in Four Weddings and a Funeral, yeah. which is probably what most people know her for. Yes, but their mother is Anne Beach. Does that name mean anything to you? Oh, man, this is like a quiz episode. It <laughs> does mean something to me, but I can't quite well, place it. Anne Beach was one of the girls in the rag trade in the first series. Of That's the rag right. Trade. Yes. Uh, yeah, the one who has the baby in the in the episode we, mm-hmm. one episode yes. that we watched. That, that, that's. That's interesting. So I, I I don't know Lisa Coleman, but did you tell me she was Charlotte Coleman's mother when we did our rag trade episode? Because I don't remember that. <laughs> Maybe I didn't. I don't know. I can't remember that either. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. You could tell me different th- the same thing. Like every time we record, now God, it's brilliant. It's fascinating. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the quiz. See if you remember. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that's bottom. That's their Halloween episode. It does actually play on some Halloween themes. It's not just kind of using it as a framing device, which I would say Time Gentleman Please does. Um, mm. So it's nice. It's fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. You didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. But it was interesting, and uh, you know, and I guess we've not covered bottom as a full episode review here in the same way as that we normally would. But but it was certainly very interesting for me to go back and watch it again. If, two weeks ago, before we watched this, if you'd have asked me my memories of bottom, it was very much that. Yeah, at the time, you know, I was a kid and I thought it was quite funny. But then I sort of grew out of it. Mm. And having then watched it, I haven't really changed my mind on that. It just it just felt a little bit a little bit childish, I'm afraid. Mm. But like I say, I think this reflects my view on Rick Mail, which is that he's incredibly good at what he does, but what he does does not appeal to me. I just mm. find it a bit too much, a bit too in your face. Mm. Well, I think to a to a large extent, Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson grew out of it as well, and um, mm. they kind of. They mentioned that in terms of like we're just getting too old to be doing all this stupid crap. And well, I I, I would challenge that because the last thing I saw Rick Mail in was the, the Greg Davis program, Man Down, and he plays Greg Davis's father. Now, Man Down is by its nature quite cartoonish. You know, it's all very over the top, and you know, you could argue that Greg Davis is something of an inheritor of Rick Mail's legacy, which is why he was a, a good bit of casting. But but in that. In that first series of Man Down, I, again, I found Rick Mail just, oh my God, just over the top, just too much. So probably not quite as physical as he was 30 years, 25 years earlier, but I, it didn't feel like there'd been a lot of growth. Well, 
I'm just thinking. I said, you know, they. I've read things where they've said, oh yeah, we've grown out of it, and they did the live shows for quite a considerable time after the series. Mm. That's that's a nice little learner. Those live shows, you know, if you can sell sure, out those yeah. places. So you know, fair enough. But the, yeah, they got to a point where they're like, okay, I think we've outgrown it. But come to think of it, all that think stuff I was reading was all Adrian Edmondson quotes, not Rick Mail. <laughs> so mm. <laughs> maybe Adrian Edmondson outgrew it. And I think Adrian Edmondson is largely retired from comedy now anyway like he he's just, a serious actor now isn't he you know you find him you see him in supporting roles in all sorts of things yeah and he likes plays folk music with the band and all that i don't think he uh-huh. you know he doesn't need the money he's not worried about it he's adrian emerson was in star wars he was in the new the latest I star wars he was wasn't film. he what was that about but but in a really you know a really throwaway role yeah just he's been in lots of sort of itv dramas he's an actor yeah he's, he's what you would call a jobbing actor yeah Whereas Rick Mail was a comedian, <laughs> a comic. Yeah, well, Rick Mail. Well, well, the truth is that Rick Mail was Rick Mail. Mm. In everything he did, he was full on Rick Mail. Whereas Adrian Edmondson, you know, he had that physicality. But if you think about Rick and Aid, you have Rick prancing about, and you have Aid next to him, <laughs> yeah. and he was never as big. Yeah, you, know, you would hardly describe yeah. what he did as small and subtle, but, yeah, but, but not in a kind of, of the contrast. Not in a little and large way. You know, he's bringing a lot to that part. I don't, I don't mean that. I don't mean it. Well, I get. I was going to say I don't mean it as an insult. And again, this bring comes back to my my take on Rick Mail being the same but less so. In my opinion, is better. You know, and that's why I, I guess I like Adrian Emerson a little bit more. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, Rick Mail's death meant that, that we're not going to get that. Uh, you know, mm. bottom set in a care home when they're in their 70s, <laughs> which we all wanted. But uh, I think bottom, like you said earlier, is it's kind of the the ultimate, yeah, of Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson. Mm. It, mm. But it is the quintessential. It's like the 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 boiled down nature of that. It's un, yeah. unfettered yeah, exactly. by Ben Elton and, and or, or or whoever mm. else. Uh, so I think you know it's a, it has its place and. Arguably, there's not a lot like it, really. Certainly, the stuff that's like it, I associate with Rick Mail, <laughs> like yeah. Filthy Rich and Catflap. Mm. Just as a as a little uh, reminder, we you will be able to hear Gareth's review of Filthy Rich and Catflap. So he's not a fan of Bottom. How does he feel about Filthy Rich and Catflap? Hmm. Find out soon on this stream. Uh, we'll put that out very soon. I feel the need for the first time ever on this podcast to sort of defend myself <laughs> because it does feel like Rick Mail is something of a sacred cow. Yeah, you're going against if the it, If it's not obvious, then, you know, all of this is subjective. And, yeah. you know, when we talked about um, Time Gentleman, Please, it was almost painful to criticise it. <laughs> but with any sort of criticism, it's not. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying it's not for me. It's not to my taste. This is all about taste. <laughs> But when we watch Mrs. Brown's Boys, <laughs> that, that will, we, we won't be so kind. Well, look, I, I know you're joking, but I think that's a really good example where, you know, 15 million people can't be wrong. Well. It is not to my taste. <laughs> but is, is, can you ever say something is objectively rubbish? I don't think you can. <laughs> I don't know. I'll give it a go when we do Mrs. Brown's Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, honestly, I, Mrs. Brown's Boys is such a go-to kind of crap sitcom. I've barely watched any of it, no, um, so I, I don't really want to judge it that harshly. But anyway, uh, yes, um, and also, just as another little sort of sneak peek, we will be looking at a Rick Mail starring sitcom in our next series. That will be coming up mm. soon, but something yep. something a little bit different, but still very, very Rick Mail. Yes, yes, and that, I think that will be interesting because I think that is the thing where Rick Mail is least Rick. 
Mm, yes, there's still a lot. Okay, of let's leave it at that. Let's yeah. leave that teaser. What, what are we that. talking about? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much uh, for joining us for our Halloween special. Uh, kind of. We won't be doing one next year because there are no other Halloween shows. That's it. Out. We've done it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye.